0: Amen, it is our joy and delight to open up God's Word once again, and we do so from Acts chapter 16 this morning, beginning in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia they attempted to go into Bithynia but the spirit of God did not allow them so passing by Mysia they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying come over to Macedonia and help us and when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them so setting sail from Chios, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapos, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we suppose there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Thus far the reading of God's holy word he may be seated. If you examine your life and think about how you have got where you are today, I'm sure there are many factors that you would say have brought you to the place where you are currently. No doubt it's been in part by effort and hard work, but I would say equally, if not more so, has been by providential circumstances. A move, perhaps, A relationship, a contract, or a contact, or an open door, and it sets you on a certain path. My wife and I talk about this quite often, that there were many things that we were contemplating doing before we met each other, and if we had done any one of those things, most likely our paths would not have crossed. And yet that one decision led to many other decisions which have gotten us to where we are today. And that is not just true of us, that is true of each and every one of us. There's millions of different decisions that have placed us all here right now. And if you were to look at it from a purely human perspective, it would all seem completely random, wouldn't it? That it is all by chance or perhaps by luck as it is so said. That we are kind of like that feather at the very beginning of the opening of Forrest Gump movie where we are just kind of blown here and blown there. Whatever wind has blown us to where we are in our current place. And that is life or seemingly that is life from our perspective. But we know that there is a greater perspective than ours a will in a way that is much greater than our will and our way, that all deeds and all actions of everything that has taken place and everything that will take place is not just random, not by chance, but it is sovereignly decreed and ordained by God. He providentially upholds and directs all of it. So as one pastor I recently heard, Say, he doesn't just ordain the end, he ordains all the means to the end. And so when we think about that and think about life from that perspective, then we can ultimately say that we are not in control, are we? It is the Lord that opens doors, and simultaneously, it is the Lord that closes other ones, as the Scripture so plainly asserts. It's man that plans his ways, but it is the Lord that directs our steps. And indeed, the Lord is directing our steps. Indeed, not only just our steps, but the steps of all mankind, as the world as a whole, all through his means and all those means to his end. Now, thinking of life from that perspective might be a little bit scary, but only so if you do not know the one behind it all. Because if you do, and you know his character, like we do in the scriptures, then it is a joy to trust, and a joy to believe, and to even enjoy the journey that the Lord has you on. Because that journey will come with many ups and and many downs. But nevertheless, it is all divinely ordained and directed from our loving Father. I say all this because this morning we have what it seems like three distinct parts to the book of Acts. It's probably separated in three different paragraphs in your Bible, perhaps three different paragraph headings, and these stories seem kind of random, perhaps unconnected, like much of life. But if you know that it's the Lord behind each and every one of them, then you see that these events are connected together. That which seems random and chaotic indeed has a purpose and a plan. And that is not just true in the life of the church. It's not just true in the life of the Apostle Paul. That is true in your life as well. And so we'll see this passage from three points this morning. First, a companion... Second, a call. And third, a conversion. First, a companion. Well, I was out of the pulpit, as you know, last week. My wife and I were away on a a weekend getaway trip to attend a wedding out of state. And uh, when I was in the pulpit, we were in Acts chapter 15. And you know what Acts chapter 15 is, that there was much division in the church That there was this issue of circumcision which led to the Jerusalem council, but we saw that the end result was the church was unified and encouraged and rejoicing. And then I leave Danny Myers in charge for one week. And what do we read? That Paul and Barnabas now have a sharp disagreement, have divided and have gone their separate ways. Danny, what have you done? I blame Pastor Myers on this, but let the record show that I am the pastor of peace and unity, and the other guy, well, I'll let you draw your own conclusion. No, it is a significant event that Pastor Myers preached on last week in the book of Acts. We see that this division between Paul and Barnabas caused this rift, because up to this point, It was always Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, the two went together like Batman and Robin or Jordan and Pippin or Glavin and Smoltz. You cannot imagine the one without the other. But now we read in Acts chapter 16 that they are no longer together. And like any division, no doubt there was wrong on both parts. And as Pastor Myers so ably demonstrated last week, it's not for us to determine who is right or who is wrong. Luke doesn't give us enough details to determine faults other than to know that it happened and it was not good. But nevertheless, God used it for his means and his purpose, that the work of God was not and is not hindered by man's foolishness or by his sin, and we can praise God for it. But as Paul sets out now on this second missionary journey, it is not as planned. But I think that's significant, isn't it? Because is it not true when things don't go as planned, we are generally a little open, or a little more open, I should say, a little more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord's direction in our life. When everything is goes swimmingly or goes as we think it should or goes as planned, we might think, well, you know what? It's because I rightly analyzed the situation and I've made the right determinations and I've made the right decisions. We might even go as far to to brag about it a little bit, to say, look what I have done and look what I have accomplished. But isn't it like the Lord to throw some curveballs our way? to shake things up, to to put roadblocks in our way. And we are quickly reminded that we are not in control and that we need to be in prayer and ask for the Lord's direction and, and guidance. And it's usually then that we see the Lord at work. Don't get me wrong, the Lord is always at work, both in things planned as well as in things unplanned, but often we have eyes that do not see it as we should. When we clearly know that we are not in control, when things are sometimes out of control from our perspective, that's typically when we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's ultimately where we always must be and should always live our lives. And I think that is the case here. As they go forward, they're a man down, as it were. Paul no longer has Barnabas that constant rock, that encouraging friend by his side. And no doubt that was a loss. There's no doubt about it. But I wonder if it's in that void, it's in that vacuum, that Paul was much more open to others joining the team. I wonder if he was looking, and I wonder if he was praying, Lord, we need others. I I cannot do this alone. We need others that are to to carry out this mission. So who is it that you would have for us? And as we see in Acts chapter 16, that is a prayer that the Lord answers. And I think that is a prayer that the Lord is gracious to answer. And In fact, he asks us to, to ask him to send out laborers into the harvest because the harvest is white. And so as Paul goes forward, No doubt that was on his heart and upon his mind, and he returns to Lystra. Now, you remember what happened last time Paul was in Lystra. He was stoned, and yet his care and his concern drove him back. No doubt you could realize that he would be fearful, but his fear did not hinder him because he had love for the church that was there in Lystra, because no doubt the heresy that had attacked the church in Antioch no doubt was taking place elsewhere and Paul wanted to be sure that this church was firmly rooted in the gospel firmly rooted in the truth and so he wants to go back to them as it says as he went through the cities he wanted to deliver to them the observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem In other words, he's giving the verdict of what the elders and the apostles had said in the Jerusalem council. And so Paul's boldness and his compassion and his care drove him forward to go to this city that he knew that he had recently been stoned in. And as a result, I think his faith was rewarded. Because it says there in Lystra, he was introduced to Timothy. Now, there's several things that we know about Timothy or that we can uh, know from this reading of Scripture. Most commentators believe that Paul met Timothy when he was a young man, probably about 18 or 20, that is, Timothy was 18 or 20 at this time, and he was most likely converted under Paul's ministry on the first journey. We don't know if Paul individually had met him or known of him, but we know that Paul calls him my true son in the faith, a faithful servant of the Lord. But notice this, even though he was young, many spoke well of him. It says that, in fact, in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium. Notice that he was not a self-proclaimed pastor. He wasn't the one coming to Paul saying, you know, Paul, I'm, I'm called to the ministry, I'm the one that should go with you. I'm the one that should be your companion. Barnabas is gone. You need me. No, he allowed the others to do the talking for him. Paul, have you noticed that young man over there? Have you noticed young Timothy? Since you have left, he has really grown in the faith. He has really matured. The Lord has given him a, a gift of wisdom and insight, and he is indeed a real servant of the church, and I think Paul was saying, yes, I have noticed this, and perhaps even more thinking, Lord, is this the one? Is this the answer to our prayers for a a further companion, another one to join the team, one that can be mentored, one that can be trained up? And I think that is a part of the, the purpose of the church, isn't it? And we're always looking for the next generation of leaders, Yes, of pastors. That's why we are so grateful to have a, a wonderful internship program here because we want to train up future pastors as a part of this church, future, future pastors for the church as a whole. But it's not just pastors, is it? It's young men and, and young women. We need more faithful lay leaders. That's why we invest so heavily in our children, in our youth program. Because we want our, our children, we want our youth not to, to go out and leave this place and to live like the world. No, we want our children to grow up and to be servants of the Lord. And Mom and dads, let me remind you of that this morning, that the best thing that you can hear, the, the, the greatest thing that you can desire for your sons and daughters is not that, you know, Johnny is really talented at baseball. Or Sally is really good at gymnastics. Or, or Billy is going to be a, a scholar one day. You know what the greatest blessing as a parent you should desire? That others would come to you and say what they say of Timothy. Your, your son, your, your daughter has a real love and fervency for the Lord. That they really love the, the, the work of the church. They, they are a servant of, of Christ. I think we need to be reminded of that as parents, don't we? We need to keep that primary, that we're raising servants of Christ, first and foremost. It's not wrong for you to want them to be talented. It's not wrong for you to, to want them to, to excel in these things. But let's be reminded that talent, without the fear and wisdom of the Lord is like putting a sword or a firearm in the hands of a fool. And if it's not wielded correctly, it does much more harm than good. For the world. Let's raise up servants for Christ by his grace and for his glory. And that's what's happening here. Timothy is being put forward. Now, was he perfectly fit for ministry? No. No one ever is. There were several negatives about Timothy. First, he was uncircumcised. We read that his father was a Greek and his mother and grandmother were Jews. and That made him half Jewish, half gentile but Paul desired for him to to go and it says something very interesting that Paul had him to be circumcised Paul was saying Timothy I, I want you to come along with me but uh, you know Timothy everybody knows that your father was a Greek and therefore it'd be best for you to be circumcised and perhaps when you were reading that or when that was read this morning you might say well, wait, hold on, time out. What's going on here? In Acts chapter 15, Paul was the one that was arguing, saying that people did not need to be circumcised. And then in Acts chapter 16, the very next chapter, he's saying, Timothy, you need to be circumcised though. And so what is taking place here? What gives? Well, I think this has nothing to do with salvation. In fact, we know it has nothing to do with salvation. In other words, Paul would be a hypocrite in what he is saying to one and then doing to another. But more this has everything to do with the effectiveness of ministry. See, Timothy needed circumcision not to restore a right relationship, not a right vertical relationship with God, but rather to have a right horizontal relationship with man. See, if Timothy was fully Gentile, I do not think Paul would have had him be circumcised. In fact, I think we can say that confidently because we know that was the case with Titus who was 100% Gentile. In fact, Paul commands Titus not to be circumcised. But why Timothy? Well, I think it was because even though his father was a Greek and that probably prevented him, the father probably prevented Timothy from being circumcised, nevertheless, Timothy was raised as a Jew. In fact, we know from letters that Paul wrote that Timothy knew the Scriptures from when he was young as a child. And so therefore, Paul thought it best for him to be circumcised. So as to remove the stumbling block that could be there so that he could better minister to Jews. So that Timothy could be like Paul, where Paul could go between Jews and Gentiles and minister equally to them. So that both Paul and Timothy could go into the synagogue and minister to those Jews that fully needed to know of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, let's just remove that barrier. Let's remove that stumbling block so that nothing gets in the way. Because there is nothing more important than the message and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can wonder, was Paul right in doing that or or wrong in doing that? Well, I think this is one of those areas where it's a matter of discretion and a matter of discernment. There isn't necessarily a, a right or a wrong, but Paul's opinion was doing so outweighed not doing so. Now, I'm not saying this is completely the same circumstance, But as you all know, in the last several years, our culture has been very divided over mass. If you ask any two people, you get about three different opinions of what you should do or what you should not do. And you cannot please any. It's a very divisive issue. And it has been so in the church. But I said to our leadership early on, Not that we did this perfectly, because we did not. But I said to them, listen, we're going to take a middle road here. We're not going to fall on one side or the other side. Why? Because it's a a losing proposition either way. We're going to try and remove as many stumbling blocks as we can for both sides. Why? Because we need to stay focused on the bigger mission." We need to stay focused on the bigger task, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot let this issue divide us or ultimately hinder our worship. Now, was one side of the issue on this cultural hot topic right or wrong? I don't think you can say one was right or one was wrong. It was a matter of discretion. It was a matter of discernment. But we could not and we cannot forsake the gospel because that is the mission of the church. And in some ways, I think there's similar similarities between that issue and what is taking place here with Timothy. Paul says you need to be circumcised so that the greater work of the gospel can be accomplished. Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that Timothy as well was hindered. He was hindered physically, that he had physical ailments that hindered his uh, ability to minister. Paul has to write to him to, to take a little wine for his stomach issues. And so he wasn't of a, a, a strong physical stamina. Likewise, he wasn't a strong, uh, bold, out there, type A personality. In fact, we might even say Timothy was a bit timid. Perhaps it was because... He even looked down upon himself, and he had others that he allowed to look down upon him. Many occasions, Paul had to say to Timothy, Timothy, be bold, be courageous, minister. Don't let others look down on you. Even though you are a a young man, you've been set apart for this calling. You've been given the word of God, and so therefore proclaim it and, and pastor in this way. I think all of it demonstrates that not all ministers or servants of the Lord need to be cut from the same cloth. There's not a a cookie cutter that needs to be. Timothy was no Paul, and that's okay, that the Lord uses all types and that we don't have to try to be someone else so as to be more productive or, or to be more helpful or to be more useful for the Lord. The Lord made you a certain way. And be grateful for that. And use the gifts that the Lord has given you for his glory. And continue to fan into flame those gifts. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be like Johnny. Don't try to be like Sally. You're not Johnny. You're not Sally. You are you. And therefore, use those gifts just like Timothy was to use the gifts that God had given him. But, you know, there was many weaknesses that we could consider of Timothy. One of his greatest strengths was that he was a faithful companion of Paul. And it demonstrates that we need that too. That we're not to do ministry alone. When I first came to this church, I, I came from a church that had multiple pastors, and I came to this place, and it was just me. And I can say unequivocally, a ministry is much better with others. And the Lord eventually added Pastor Myers, the, the divider of Paul and Barnabas, uh, and, and others on staff so that we can minister together. The other day we had a staff meeting, and, and what a joy it was to look around the table and say, what a, what a blessing it is to minister with these people that are on staff. And that's not just true of church staff. That's true of the entire church, right? That we're not to do it alone because we won't last The Lord's work is always done in conjunction with others, partnership with others. Remember, Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. So we should always look to do the Lord's work shoulder to shoulder with those here in the church. Well, we must move on. We see second then a call. Not only was Paul a man down, but the Lord provided. So the Lord also provided the way that they were supposed to go. Remember, Paul was on this reaffirming tour, going back to all of these churches, trying to strengthen them, but the Lord had other plans. Again, the, the heart of uh, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And it says in this passage several times that they try to go this way, but the Lord forbid it, or the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow it. It thwarted their ways. We can speculate what that meant could have been providentially, maybe there was storms or weather or war or closed borders, or perhaps it was prophetically. we don't know, but we just know that the, the door was closed. and it was perhaps in that frustration they went to the Lord in prayer. once again, maybe you're like me that it oftentimes takes me kind of pounding my head up against the wall before I go, you know what, maybe I should pray about this. And I think that is what's happening here. They're going, no, that place closed, and we can't go that way, and we can't go here. Lord, which way would you have us to go? Would you lead us? Would you direct us? And we see here in this middle paragraph, beginning in verse 6, that there was a, a vision in the nights that Paul had at the apostles and Even the prophets were given supernatural revelation. And this was such a time that Paul has this vision of a man of Macedonia. We don't know who this man was. It's not of any importance. But this man says, come over. Come to Macedonia. We need you. Help us. And so the next morning, Paul, along with those that accompanied him, now with Timothy, talked about this and said, yes, we we believe this is of The Lord, we must go to what is modern-day Greece. And we know that Greece is really the gateway to, to Europe. And you might read this story and go, okay, cool. They went left instead of right. But this is of greater significance than this. This leading of the Lord, this vision given to Paul, I tell you, changes world history. Why is it that Western culture has been heavily influenced by Christianity? It's because of this call. It's because of this vision. Why is it that you've been able to so graciously grow up in a culture where there is multiple churches, so much so that it's almost on every street corner? It's because of this vision. It's because of this call that the Lord used Greece and then Europe to, to be the springboard for the the rest of his gospel to, to the worlds. Christianity is so often criticized for being Western cultured or Eurocentric, but we need to remember that's not where it started, did it? This is a part of God's unfolding. This is a part of God's work. It's a part of his plan. We can be grateful that it hasn't just remained eurocentric it went to america and to africa and to asia and it's going to the four corners of the earth as god promised it would but god was first pleased to use macedonia and the greeks and the europeans and we'll see as we go through the book of of acts that we see churches now established in philippi and in thessalonica and corinth do any of those sound familiar to you they should Those are leading churches Paul wrote letters to. About half of the New Testament is these churches in Macedonia. Why? Because God desired to establish his church there. Why did he close the door to one and open the other? Again, we do not know. But it's all because the Lord said, nope, you cannot go that way. You are to go this way. And again and again through Scripture as well as in our own lives, do we not see that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts better than our thoughts? Well, we see some of the immediate fruit of following the Lord's direction as we see lastly the conversion that takes place. That they do go to Macedonia and they go to Philippi and it says on the Sabbath they went to the place of worship. And typically, as you remember, as they went to these Various cities, normally they would go to the synagogue first, but we see here in Philippi that there was no synagogue, which demonstrates that they were in some deep Gentile waters. So they went rather to the river to pray. And they heard that there were some that were gathered to pray. And so upon arrival, what did they find? Well, they found a a gathering of women That there was only women praying there. And not only just women, but Gentile women. And what did these Jewish men say? Did they say, oh, well, that's a waste. We're not going to go talk to those women over there. Uh, Maybe the Lord's not in this. Maybe we, we took a wrong turn somewhere. Maybe we need to go elsewhere. Maybe we need to go to the city down the road. No, they sat down with this group of women. And they preached. And they teached. And I wonder, as the Apostle Paul did, and we can only speculate, I wonder if John 4 was running through Paul's mind when Jesus went out of his way to meet that woman at a well in Samaria. And I wonder if the Lord was doing the same with the Apostle Paul here, and I was wondering if the Paul was praying the same, Lord, do your work just like you did that day. And what do we see? That the, the Lord did exactly that. And the Lord did what only he can do. That Lydia, this cellar of purple, this fine and very rare dye, the color of kings, this is the one that the Lord opens her heart. And notice it says that exactly in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. To pay attention, Lydia didn't open her heart to the Lord. The Lord opened her heart to him. And the Lord opened her heart in order for her to, to hear, in order for her to understand the message. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the ears that hear and the eyes that see. We know it's not ultimately an ear problem, is it? Or an eye problem. It's a heart problem. The Lord must open the heart in order for us to hear in order for us to see, in order for us to understand. And that's exactly what took place here, is that the Lord opened Lydia's heart so that she understood the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the saving message of the gospel. She indeed understood that she was a sinner and that the Lord Jesus Christ was her Savior. And the Lord did exactly the same thing that He did at the well of Samaria. He does at the riverside of Philippi. And perhaps the Lord would do the same this day. That the Lord would bring you to this place on this day so that he could have your heart be open, so that you could understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that that would take place even now. Just like it did with Lydia, he brings his daughter home. And I wonder if there's a son, if there's a daughter that needs to come home today. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that she was baptized. That it, not only her but her entire household—it's just so radical as we read this how her life was radically changed that day, and not just for her but her entire household. This goes from being one that was in darkness to one that was being in light, and and she not only joins the Lord Jesus Christ and and the mission, but joins the ministry. She immediately shows her her faithfulness, a desire to be a part of the Lord. And she asks for these individuals, again, that she had never met until that day, other than knowing that they were from the Lord, that they had been sent to her. She says, come and and join us. Stay in my house. I'll open my, my house to you. I will feed you so that you would give us God's word. And in fact, that's exactly what they did. It says that they uh, stayed there. It says that she prevailed upon them. And we know that from her actions, this becomes a leading church in Macedonia, the the, the church in Philippi, that wonderful book that is written to the Philippians. Again, as we look through these stories, we could say, would any of this have happened? If, if Paul was fearful to, to leave Antioch and to go to Lystra, that place that he'd been stoned, and, and if Timothy hadn't joined him there, and if Paul didn't receive that vision, or if the Lord didn't convert Lydia and, and she didn't show hospitality, we, we don't know if any of that didn't take place, if all of this would have happened, but it's no need. We need not speculate because it is what happened. And it demonstrates that it was indeed from the Lord. I want to pass on to you something that a wise ruling elder once told me, and it's stuck. And I hope it would for you. He said the what-if questions of life. The what-if questions of life are never from the Lord. Why? Because those what-if questions often can be sinful. They can raise doubts. They can raise skepticism. They can raise fear and raise worry, which we know is not from the Lord. It is not the what-if questions that matter. It is the what-is questions and matters of life. And what we should be asking is not what if this happened or what if that happened or what if that didn't happen or what if that didn't take place. What we should be saying is that is what has happened. And so therefore, Lord, what is taking place in my life? What is it that you are doing? How can I be a part of it? How can we be a part of it? Lord, it's not my will, but it is your way. Let me tell you a quick story and conclude. It's told of the young John Calvin, who was a native of France, and he was passing through Geneva, Switzerland. And young Calvin had gained quite a reputation in the church, known for having quite a sharp mind and was already useful in the work of the Lord. And it was there in Geneva that William Farrell, who was a pastor of that area, heard that Calvin was in town, and Farrell found him out. and he urged and, and pleaded for Calvin to stay. In fact, did so for, for many days saying, we, we need you here, we need you to help, we need you to, to establish the church here in Geneva. But Calvin had no desire. In fact, one commentator or one biographer writes this way, it says, Calvin was shy and modest, and he yearned for a life of quiet and peaceful study in some sanctuary, far from the rumble of the storms created by the Reformation. But Pharaoh steadfastly and strenuously urged and yet, Calvin resisted every overture of Pharaoh until, in ex, excuse me, an exasperation, Pharaoh bellowed, I declare in the name of God that if you do not assist us in the work of the Lord, the Lord will punish you for following your own interest rather than this call. And Calvin says that was like a lightning bolt to him. That's, he was so convicted of it, that he would live his life so selfishly rather than for the work of the church and the work of the Lord, and so he used that urging, that plea by Pharaoh to stay, and stay for the rest of his life. Calvin and Geneva, as you know, are synonymous with each other, and the same is true for each and every one of us. It may not be as forcefully as that, that we would understand the call of God upon our life. Let me tell you, the Lord has put you here, right here, right now, for a time as this. And don't think about the what-ifs and the what-could-bes, but what the rather what is. And so put your hand to the plow, and do not look back. Trust the Lord and the journey that he has for you, and minister for his kingdom and his glory all by his grace. I'll oh, join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you direct our way. Lord, how foolish we we have often thought that we are the ones that are in control, that we are the ones that are making the decisions. Lord, uh, would we be reminded that you are the one that is behind it all. And Lord, that you would use us even now in this place. Lord, that you would cast away our feelings of of discontents and feelings of what if this happened or what if that happened, and, and rather look to what you are doing in and through our lives and how we can be a part of it. Lord, how we could come and, and minister alongside the work that you're already doing, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit to do a work that is above and beyond that which we could ask or even imagine, oh Lord. Would you do such a, a work in us, oh Lord, not because we are worthy, O Lord. We are not, but you are worthy, O Lord. And we desire to give you glory and praise, for that is what you deserve. We pray it all in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.